All right, well, we're normally occupied by the fighters in this space, but today we get to flip the script a little bit. We get an athletic trainer as well as a coach in Dr. Paul Longworth. Paul, it's great to talk to you today. Hey, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I, bring, I appreciate you bringing me on. Um, not a doctor, though, just so I don't want anyone calling me out. <laughs> I, I apologize. I For some reason, I thought you were, but I guess I'm way off on that. So I appreciate you uh, correcting me on that. So Really quickly, I want to kick things off. You really splashed onto the scene over the last second half of 2023, I would say. Obviously, the Paris Hawkins, you being in his corner with that stellar knockout that he had. But you've been building your name since then, specifically over the last couple of months. How have things been over the last couple of months as you have been building up your your camp, I should say? Yeah, it's been awesome, man. Uh, it definitely took me a little while to break into the fight scene in Utah. Uh, coming from Vegas, you know, I was working with some of the best in the world and uh, kind of thought when I got here, I would be working with fighters here. And it kind of took them a little while to let me into the circle. Utah is very, you know, Utah versus everyone. And so if you weren't from Utah, it was, it was kind of hard to break that bubble. But since then, yeah, things have been taken off a lot and we've been building and growing and uh, people are really accepting of the different way of how I do things. And um, I feel like the results are showing, man. Yeah, I, I mean, I really want to get into every single thing that you just talked about, and we'll get through it throughout the entirety of this interview. But I do want to kick things off with your specific MMA background. Did you compete? How did you get involved in this sport? How did you find your way into this space in the first place back in Vegas? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, uh, my martial arts training started way before Vegas. Uh, I started fighting when I was six. My grandpa was really, really big into martial arts. And uh, so he got me with like really traditional karate and judo at a young age. Um, and I mean, I, I trained from the time I was six, pretty much my entire life. Uh, I did have some fights. They were like kind of considered pro at the time, but I wouldn't consider them pro now, you know? Um, but now I, I did 24 different matches and, um, a lot of them were tournament style. So, you know, 20 or, uh, sorry, 16 people would walk in and there'd be fights over two days and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, definitely have seen everything from, you know, the very, very traditional side, side of martial arts to MMA to, you know, like military combat too. So lots of experience under your belt. I didn't realize how much of a competitive background you specifically found. I was going to ask this later on, but how did you go from an athlete into becoming a coach? Um, well, you know, I just feel like a, that's kind of the natural transition, right? Like you do it for a while and, and then you want to coach it and um, I've always been a coach since I really was really young in martial arts. I started coaching when I was 12 because I was too poor to really pay for what I was doing. So I got really lucky with some people. They're like, hey, man, clean the mats. Don't get in trouble at home. Get good grades and, and coach the kids. And, uh, you know, you can train for free. And so I, I started coaching since I was really little. And I just love it. I love seeing people grow and expand. Um, I could definitely say that switch from being the athlete in the ring to uh, just solely coaching happened when I was like, man, I, I need to find a better way to make money than getting kicked in the head. You know, it's, it's a tough job. And um, yeah, man, I, I just felt like it was the right time. Do you have any specific coaches that you looked up to that you studied as you leaned more into a full-time position as a coach and an athletic trainer? Yeah. In, in a lot of different fronts, you know, in the, in the fight world specifically, Bill DeRue is a, a huge, you know, beacon of what I think strength and conditioning should really be. Uh, when I really started working with high-end fighters, I was working with Coach Larry Wade's camp out of Vegas. He works with like Sean Porter, Caleb Plant. He's one of the bigger names in, in box strength and conditioning. 
And um, outside of that, man, Zach Forrest in the CrossFit world was a, a very big example and role model of not just what fitness can do for other sports, but how you sh should conduct yourself as a coach and as a mentor. Um, I would say those would be the big three. I could go on and on. That's a whole podcast on its own, man. I, I love coaching and I take it very seriously and I study it. So I, I have role models in like every little sect and discipline of coaching for sure. So you mentioned like bodybuilding, CrossFit, MMA, boxing, all these different coaches from all these different sports. I'm not hearing any of the popular sports, the basketballs, the footballs. Do you ever pay attention and do you lean any of your time into those types of sports or is it primarily the ones that you just mentioned? Ah, man, I wish I could say uh, I, I watch more of the regular sports, but I don't. I, I honestly, I don't really care about team sports. Uh, for me, it's always been like, all right, you and me, let's go. Let, let's see who's faster. Let's see who's stronger. Let's see who, you know, is awake at the end of this round. Um, not that I don't have a deep appreciation for team sports. And, and, you know, there are a lot of great coaches in that sense. And I really look to them for uh, how they mentally help drive athletes. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not really my, my biggest jam for sure. Is there any reason that you came to kind of that conclusion and that, that thought about specifically sports? Um, yeah, a lot of it was how I grew up, man. Uh, like I said, I, I didn't have money to pay for classes. I, I grew up really poor. Um, I didn't have the best family life. And so for me, the safe spot where it was the only place in the world where I didn't feel judged was in the gym because you know, a hundred kilos doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. A hundred kilos weighs the same for everyone. When you're on that track, it doesn't matter if your shoes are ripped up or, you know, this or that, a mile's a mile. And so um, single person sports was the only place where I felt like I hadn't even played anything. And so uh, that's why I, I pulled more towards those single person sports. Do you ever think that maybe the way that you came up and the way that you grew up, like you said, being poor, not having the same things that everyone else had, has helped you build up your own coaching abilities as well as your fight career when you were fighting? 100%, um, especially with fighting over other sports, because uh, generally you don't sign up to do this because you had a great upbringing. You know, usually it's it's guys from the hood. It's, it's people that grew up a little poor. So when you can relate that a little bit better, when you can relate to them and and when you know what their struggles are or, you know, everyone has their own struggles, but in generalities, what people's struggles struggles are, you can learn how to motivate them a lot more. And that's the biggest piece of the puzzle. Some of these guys are training, you know, three, four or five hours a day. And you have to be able to pull stuff out of them that they didn't even know they had. And you can, you learn that from having a tough background. I, I live by the words like tough lives build tough people. And uh, I, I feel like that was a huge blessing in disguise to grow up the way I did. One of the big things that I wanted to transition into is kind of the various sports that you do approach in your professional life. Obviously, you're in the MMA space. Prior to that, if I did my homework correctly, you were in the bodybuilding space, maybe still are. I'm curious some of the differences between dealing with someone who is working in the bodybuilding space versus dealing with someone who's about to go into a cage and get in a fight. For sure. Um, well, the bodybuilding, yeah. So I've been in Utah a few years now, three years. Uh, before I was in Utah, I was almost predominantly solely working with fighters, a uh, couple NFL players, and then high-level runners, both marathon and sprint. Um, so the bodybuilding is recently new to me over the last like three years. And it was really just kind of out of necessity. They came into the office. They're like, Hey, have you worked with bodybuilders? They're like, no, but it's a body slap on this table. We'll get you fixed, you know? And, um, 
I ended up with a great appreciation for it um, because I got to learn a new sport and, uh, you know, learn how they train and how they approach mental discipline. Um, but really, yeah, it's always been my, my heart and my passion have always been in combat sports. But at the same time, I feel like as a coach, you're pigeonholing your own knowledge if you only study one sport. So I do love it when I get those one-offs. Like I have professional skiers that come in and uh, recently I, I got to work with a bunch of professional speed skaters. And it's like, who, who knows anything about that sport, right? But, but I'm going to learn because you're on my table and I want to be able to help you the best way I can. So um, yeah, it's definitely been a, a transition, but um, I'm very excited to be focusing more on combat sports. And I still work with all my bodybuilders. I still work with everyone else. Um, but it's, I feel at home, you know, that, that does really pique my interest though. What is maybe the process of optimizing a skier versus optimizing someone like Zeke Latu? Totally. It's, it's, um, well, it's crazy. Cause it's like 50% the same and 50% highly different, right? Um, most humans need the same things. We, we need to understand stability. We need to have hip and shoulder control. We need to understand, uh, our kinetic chain and, and where our body is in the space around us. But um, obviously with Zeke, a 250 pound monster of an athlete, you know, we, we have to worry more about like, hey, is his mobility lacking? Or is his gas tank gonna empty quicker because he has so much muscle mass? Whereas a skier, we need to work on a lot more lateral control and creating instability that they're gonna find on the mountain and uh, working a lot more single leg balance. So it's really like, 50% building an engine and then 50% dialing it in for those specific sports. So you talked about kind of various attributes of different athletes and what each specific person might need. I actually saw something on your social media just a couple of weeks ago where you had a specific attribute and then a number pointed to it. You seem to have data-driven analysis to build your athletes. Where does that come from? How did you kind of build this system? And also how beneficial in your eyes is that compared to someone else who's just coming day in and day out? Absolutely. Um, I'm a very data-driven person, and that came from I'm just a huge nerd in general. Uh, so I like seeing numbers, and we can all say we feel good here and there, but until we can see it on a score of like, hey, yes, this has improved 15% over the last three weeks, um, we're really just you know shooting in the dark. And every other sport does it, right? The NFL has a combine. When you're looking at uh, in high-level endurance athletes, everyone is doing VO2 max and Wingate studies and you know various ways to check our metabolic systems and no one's really doing it in fighting so i was like well i mean if we really want to put ourselves to a point where we can truly understand what's going on in our body and how that translates to the ring we need to do it um so i think the one that you were talking about we have two pieces of that puzzle we have our metabolic analysis and then we have our what we're calling our fight combine the metabolic analysis is truly taking a deeper look inside the body where we're measuring uh, 26 different biomarkers like VO2 max, high intensity output, uh, metabolic efficiency, fat burning efficiency, and just everything is going on under the hood. And then we have our fight combine, which is where we're taking specific skills that are fight relatable, right? So it's like the generic over here, and this is the specific. We're looking at mobility, stability, uh, anterior and posterior power development, upper body and lower body muscular endurance. And those, we can give you your scores with very specific tests, with you know very specific criteria. Uh, and then we can take everyone that we've ever tested and get an average. And I can show you where you lie in each one of those departments you know, with 
averages of everyone that we've ever tested. And so it's a great way to see what your true strengths and true weaknesses are. And a lot of times we have glaring weaknesses. Everyone does. We're like, ah, it's not that big of a deal until you see how much you sucked it. And you're like, man, maybe I should actually work on that. That's what we're trying to do. One of the big names, and I said this at the top of the podcast, is uh, Paris Hawkins. He was kind of the first name that, that I associated with you when I was prepping for any given fight this last year. How did you find him? How did he find you? How did that relationship come to be? Because it seems like he was your first. Is that correct? Yeah, the first here in Utah. Yeah, the first year right. in Utah. Um, so how that happened was when I moved here, you know, I was just going to every gym in town trying to find a home, right? I, I need somewhere to set up a, a home base and set up my office. And um, I definitely do that with a different approach. A lot of people go in talking numbers. It needs to make sense to me, right? I need to make sure that the culture of that gym fits the culture that I'm trying to bring or else it's just not going to work. And I ended up going into UCTC and he was working at the front desk and you know, in true Paris fashion, you know, he's got his ear and what's going on, bro. And just a uh, really good energy. And I was like, man, I, I like this kid and um, ended up uh, teaching a couple seminars there and running some strength and conditioning classes. And he was always just popping in and out and asking me questions on why I do what I do. And uh, then I saw him hitting the bag and I was like, dang, this kid's got skill too. And uh, I remember at that point, I was like, all right, I'm going to bring him in. And it didn't happen for about like four or five different months. He, he uh, was getting ready for the USMTO and um, had a little bit of an injury. So I was like, dude, just come hop on the table. I'll take care of you. And then uh, it just kind of took off after that. You know, we got along really well. We have a very similar mindset with uh, martial theory and, and not just fighting, but the true artistic part of martial arts. And um, yeah, so then he just started working with me and I actually brought him on with PR Health and, and he helps me coach and run tests and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, just kind of grew from there. Yeah. Speaking a little bit about some of the rest of your roster, Mike Jones, Zeke Latu, Talon Carvalho, MG Valinga, Marco Sanchez, I'm, I'm leaving out a bunch of them, but all these new names that have been popping in, what has kind of been the timeline of that? Because I remember if, if I remember correctly, August, it seemed like it was just Paris. And now it seems like it is really built into a, almost a full camp. Yeah, it, it totally has. It's uh, I would say, you know, Zeke's last fight, um, he came in and we started bringing in little onesies, twosies here and there. But then after Zeke's last fight was when everyone kind of just started coming in. Uh, you know, obviously me and Marco were both in his corner for that fight. So we were talking a bunch leading up to it. And um, yeah, I would say it grew a lot in the last month. And that's kind of how it always goes. You know, um, when you have a very unique method, getting early adopters is hard to do. You know, you're, you're taking people away from what their normal is. You're taking away from their comfortability and you're putting them through things they're not used to doing. A lot of people don't like to do that until they see results with other people. So it took a couple people to take a chance and then everyone else saw the potential and then everyone else started coming. And, I, I, you know, that just speaks volumes to um, how much people are taking to it. And that that just warms my heart, man, because as a coach, like, I just want to be able to provide something that no one else can provide in the area. Not because it's, you know, only I can provide it, but it's because I, I just care more. I'm willing to do more. I'm willing to go further because I'm still competitive. And, uh, you know, I want to find things that are always different and new and changing. And um, yeah, people are starting to, to come to that. And I'm really excited to see what comes. You said something that really flew off the film for me. I forgot that you were in the corner for Zeke in that fight against Cam Chisholm. Now, 
you have a very specific point of view of this over anyone else, given your background and also what you knew about Zeke headed into this fight. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts in between the rounds? You had seen so much output from Zeke in those first five minutes going and answering the bell going into the second, what were your thoughts and what did you see from Zeke headed into that second round? Because we know that really the gas tank pittered out. Yeah. Um, what I saw most was I we, immediately after that first round, win or lose, I already knew what we needed to work on the next camp. And that was him listening to his corner. You know, that whole time, you know, he, he took him down twice. We were all yelling, hey, keep it standing up, keep it standing up. But settle in, settle in, you know, and um, he's had blood in the water and he just wanted to attack. So at that point, you know, we already knew what the next camp was going to be focused on. And we've been doing that. You're going to see, well, you guys have already seen a completely new Zeke uh, as this is going to air after the fight. But um, in the corner, really, it was just me trying to get him to breathe because I could tell he was excited. And we have very specific breathing patterns that we do in the corner. And he was kind of just neglecting that. And unfortunately, I was the third person out of the cage. I couldn't reach his back. I couldn't give him the signals I needed to to get him to breathe, which are all things we've adjusted for this next fight. But that was the biggest thing is cooling his engine. We know he's strong. We know he's powerful, but he needs to listen and he needs to be able to control the throb. Given you've talked about the muscle mass, obviously obviously the skill level of Zeke, is 60 seconds enough time to be able to bring down the heart levels of someone of that size and that athletic ability? Yeah, 100%. So we've, we've been working on it a lot through this last camp for the last eight weeks. And uh, he's bringing his heart rate down, you know, pretty significantly. I'm not going to give any numbers, but uh, it's, he's bringing it down a lot. And uh, people have really been taking to the breath work side of things that we've been doing. And everyone's been having good results. Another one of our big names, again, I, I won't say any names, but he sparred 10 straight five-minute rounds the other day, and he's like, dude, I, I feel like a machine. Every time I stand back up, I feel gold. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's going to change some things. Well, I love hearing all this about your now new home here in Utah. You come from the fight capital of the world in Las Vegas. You come here to Utah. It takes a little while to get the ball rolling. What do you make of the talent pool here in Utah? Obviously, Las Vegas is the city to be in, but what do you make of what Utah has to offer? Yeah, the talent pool here is great. Um, there, there's a lot of very hungry athletes. There's a lot of very good coaching here. Um, I, I feel like it has a lot of potential. And if it didn't, UFC wouldn't be coming every now and then. You know, uh, BKFC has recently come. I think people are starting to notice now more than ever that Utah does have a lot to offer. Um, one thing that I feel like Utah can do better is is realize all the small pieces of the business of fighting and not just the sport of fighting because being able to market yourself, being able to present yourself like a professional, that's what's going to change it from you being able to fight just in Utah and fighting around the world on pay-per-view for millions of dollars. Last question from me as a coach, what is your number one goal for your fighters as well as yourself in 2024? And if there's anything, I just want to build better humans. You know, if that relates to the cage, amazing. But really, everyone that steps in, I want them to leave as a better human being than when they stepped in. And uh, we've had good luck doing that. And I feel like that model of caring about the athlete and not the result has uh, what's gotten me as far as it has. And that's never going to stop. That's why I wear it on my chest every day. 
you know, my shirt says building better humans on it. It's not because it's a, just a clever saying, it's because that's what I'm really passionate about and that's what I live by. So uh, that's always going to be our main focus. Everyone that comes in there is going to leave a better person than when they came. Optimizing performance. It is none other than Paul Longworth. Thank you so much for the time. Good luck throughout the entirety of this year. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it.